Hello and welcome to the Bloodstream Podcast, a show serving the greater bleeding disorders community. Brought to you by Believe Limited and Bloodstream Media and made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. I'm your patient advocate and host, Patrick James Lynch. Hey. This, <laughs> this is the part where you say hi. Oh, and I'm Josh. I love horror movies, and I'm a mental health advocate, and I'm here to stay. He's for clearly today. <laughs> also not Amy. She will be back. You'll also next time you'll hear from her later today in a couple of interviews that she led. But Josh is joining me here up front, so it's up to me to let you know that as always, please speak with a healthcare professional before making any treatment decisions. And we have got a loaded show today, Josh. A lot of good segments. Wow. <laughs> Maya Bloomberg is back with a segment on caregiving in honor of Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to the moms out there. Dr. Guy Young is on to talk about Fetusaran. Amy and Drama from Believe Limited are going to discuss and set up the trailer from our new Breaking Through documentary. And community member and musical artist Shelby Smoke is featured in our new musical segment led by James Maple. We have got all that and more on today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode in the podcast with people in your network who you think may enjoy the show. And listeners, I do want to remind you that the Bloodstream Podcast is made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Yeah, that's right, Takeda. Takeda's got this website. Josh, have you heard of it? Uh, Takeda.com. Close. Bleedingdisorders.com, where you, dear listener, can learn all about Takeda's resources for and commitment to the bleeding disorders community. Takeda believes in a world free of bleeds, Josh. Wow, I, that sounds wonderful. Isn't it? And they are dedicated more than ever in their efforts to offer a wide range of programs and support to help patients throughout their treatment journey, wherever on that journey they may be. You, Josh, listener, everybody can learn more by simply visiting, Josh, remember that website? Bleedingdisorders.com. Hey, only on the second try. It usually takes Amy about five or six, and she's been doing this for years. <laughs> One more time, that's bleedingdisorders.com. And for their founding and ongoing support of the Bloodstream Podcast, Josh and I would just like to say, Thanks, thanks Takeda. So, Josh, thanks for joining me here up front. We obviously have a packed show. There's like 72 segments that I just mentioned. <laughs> but I wanted to talk to you up front, uh, not only because Amy's not here, but because for the last, I don't know, two years almost, yeah. you've been leading the Let's Talk Mental Health segment, the most recent of which, uh, titled Sober, was on the most recent episode of Bloodstream Podcast. And that will also be the final segment of Let's Talk, the mental health segment, at least for now, while we for hit now. pause, and we'll talk more about that in a, in a moment. So I wanted to have you on to just, first and foremost, what has it been like bringing to light important topics under the umbrella of mental health while also sharing and revealing parts of your personal story that relate to those topics? How's that journey been for you over the last couple of years? Really healthy. Um, really healthy, really challenging. I feel like there, we as people often you know, don't want to talk about mental health, period, let right. alone our own mental health. And I think having a space to do that, um, it was challenging at first to see, like, how much do I want to open up? But over the course of, I think, the first year, especially talking to Debbie so much, Debbie De La Riva, um, it, it really helped me kind of shed that vulnerability feeling and just be open. And I feel like I've been able to really share my true journey across this segment, um, which is really, I, I'm impressed with myself because I'm, I'm the type of person who likes to be the fly in the wall. I'm not a huge outwardly social person. I'm not an extrovert, um, but I present as one often um, because it's easier to navigate the world that way. But um, yeah, I, it, it's been really healthy. And 
I've learned a lot about myself and I feel also like it's kind of run its course. Like I, mm. I will always be on a mental health journey. I think all of us are, whether we admit it or not, but there, there seems to be a totality of like the, the, the progress is happening at a fast pace now. And my life is at a fast pace now. And we've talked to a lot of community members that even sort of drifted past and and the last couple of segments have been solely about me and my journey and and trying to figure out how to relate it back to the bleeding disorders community and so without there being some sort of large change it, mm. it just feels like that part of the journey is kind of complete for now um yeah and i think it's going to evolve into something a little a, a little smaller um i don't think i can stop sharing at this point you know, mm. like, I don't think I just go away and like revert back to who I was. I really like voicing what I'm feeling because I get a lot of messages back about like, you know, that was really helpful to hear. For sure. Yeah. And we get I get some of those, too, about about that segment in particular. Is there a particular segment, maybe one in the recent past that stands out to you because it was particularly challenging or you discovered something about yourself or revealed something about yourself that was particular in some way? Any any segment you want to highlight? Yeah, I think I think for me, the, one of the biggest breakthroughs was the one, I don't even remember exactly the theme or most of the details, but I remember being in a hammock in the park and realizing that I was like around all these kids and there was a kid that approached my hammock and and I, I was like, hi. And then, you know, suddenly I was the weird guy in a hammock with a beard, like waving at a child. And the mother was like, let's get to the car. And um, <laughs> and tracing that back to uh, Courtney and I having a miscarriage and realizing that my my life doesn't uh, look like it's going to involve children in the way that I thought it would. But I do have these nephews and cousins. And so just it was like a big moment of acceptance of. You know, there's the version that in your 20s or, or teens, you think your life is going to go. And then there's the real story. There's the true story and embracing that true story and being OK with the true story. That was a powerful one. And, and listeners, if you've heard one more, all, none of the segments, we have organized them all on the website. So if you go to the bloodstreammedia.com website and to the Bloodstream podcast page, you'll see a nice wide banner that says, let's talk. If you click that, you'll see all of the video segments because Josh has produced these as video segments as well. And they're all there broken out the whole list of them. We'll put a link in the program notes. But again, bloodstreammedia.com, go to the Bloodstream podcast page, can't miss the banner for Let's Talk. And that's where you can find all of Josh's segments. And to your point, Josh, it's not like we're going to stop talking about mental health on this podcast. It's not like we're never going to have you back to be in a conversation about mental health on the podcast. But for now, this particular segment in that particular format, we are hitting pause in part because you're doing other stuff within the bloodstream media world that's kind of recently come to your plate. So would you mind sharing a, a little bit about what else you're doing in the bloodstream media podcast world these days? Yeah, we're, we're doing a large focus on social media. That's one. Um, and so some of these segments you'll probably see if you follow us on Instagram or on TikTok now, um, you'll probably see these segments kind of regurgitated out in smaller formats, um, little bits and pieces. And then I, I would like to kind of continue this journey on like a mental health Monday kind of way on the Believe Limited hmm. side of things, um, just to kind of continue the journey, but to also give us some content to put out that, um, you know, feels like us. And um, 
Gosh, I'm I'm blanking on um, well, I, within the larger network, I guess I'm I'm hosting a show with Kay, our editor, who's now an editor slash writer. Um, she's writing a show called PV Pod, uh, which is about polycythemia vera, which is a type of cancer. It's a blood cancer, um, and yeah, we're we're co-hosting that together. She's taking the lead, and I'm just kind of being the the goofball that asks a lot of questions, which kind of fits my mo. You guys seem to be having a lot of fun putting that together. Yeah, it's weird to say like, hey, we're having a lot of fun on the cancer show, but we are. It's it's we're talking to really great people who are emphasizing just how important. And we're talking to a lot of really wonderful community members who are emphasizing just how important it is to have a community and to set up that support system. Um, because we are, well, I, I know Courtney and I are getting, you know, into our early forties and we are now having friends who are having health scares. And so I feel like I'm, I'm continuing on my mental health journey, even through this new podcast, because it's like, th this is the time when things like this start to pop up with people's parents or even with friends who, um, you know, you get into that like middle age area, I put air quotes cause it's scary, <laughs> um, and uh, and that this sort of stuff starts to pop up and, and being prepared for it mentally. And then if you are someone who is living with this or, or is diagnosed with this, like having a place to hear those stories and know that there is a support system and there is a way to navigate it. So PV Pod Stories from the Marrow. We'll put a link in the program notes as well if you want to hear more from Josh. Of course, as he mentioned, you'll also see more content coming out through the Bloodstream Media and Believe Limited social media channels. Um, as well as you can continue always to hear and listen to Josh on his haunting season TikTok, which had what's the how many people are now paying attention to this? Well, this is really exciting. Uh, I, I pa surpassed 400,000. I'm at like 403.9, something annoying like that. Um, <laughs> but what's really exciting is Instagram has just started to take off. So for the past two years, I've had uh, maybe 2,000 people following me on Instagram. And over the past three weeks, it shot up to I think I'm about to hit 18,000. Um, wow. Yeah, it's been an enormous amount of growth. One video went super viral, got a million views on Instagram, which I didn't even know was possible if you weren't like an influencer who was like paying to have your stuff viewed. Cool. Um, it's just organic growth. So yeah, haunting season on, on both those platforms. And if you don't mind sticking around f uh, for a little while longer here with me, we'll set up the rest of these segments and go through this episode together. I love that. All right, great. So let's go next to uh, Maya Bloomberg, back once again, the Heme NP, with some lessons this time related to caregiving in honor, in part, of Mother's Day. Maya? Not every woman is a caregiver and not every caregiver is a mother, but many mothers are caregivers. So in lieu of Mother's Day, I wanted to dedicate this segment to our caregivers. We focus so much attention on the affected individual having a condition, but we need to remember to give attention to the amazing caregivers out there. Now, I totally understand not wanting to ask for help and just trucking along despite being exhausted. I'm that person who always fails to ask for help until I truly am struggling. But when you're supporting and caring for a loved one with a chronic condition daily, there really should be no shame in asking for help. Let's review some caregiver statistics and why it's so important to look after both your physical and mental health. 40 to 70% of family caregivers reported symptoms of depression, with around 25% meeting diagnostic criteria for MDD or major depressive disorder, and this was more common among female caregivers. Data also shows that being a caregiver can cause a decline in your own health, and this was especially true in individuals working full-time and or those caring for someone with emotional or mental health problems. 
Knowing these statistics, it's important to identify signs of caregiver burnout, which can include mood swings or feeling short-tempered, having either weight loss or weight gain. Maybe you're noticing you're having a loss of interest in things that used to make you happy. There can be a lot of negative feelings such as hopelessness, guilt, anxiety, and fear. You can have a change in your sleeping patterns or eating habits. Maybe it's more difficult to make decisions or you're having some degree of brain fog. You might notice relationship problems or even just the inability to rest and relax. So when it comes to prevention, it's important to know your limits and how to really identify the signs of stress and exhaustion, and more importantly, know when to ask for help. You want to schedule personal time regularly, and I literally mean schedule personal time. You can put more than just medical appointments in your calendar, write in a coffee break or a workout or a massage. You get the point. It's really important to find your person or your confidant. This could be family or friends or support groups with other caregivers. Just remember, you are not alone. You wanna also maintain healthy habits with regards to a balanced diet and physical activity and good quality sleep. Lastly, other strategies can include staying socially connected, joining support groups, educating yourself about an illness because at the end of the day, knowledge is power. And if you do have concerns, remember you can always speak to a professional. So for my listeners out there, go and check in on your friends who are caregivers, plan a lunch, grab some cocktails, drop off some dinner or Uber Eats and just leave it at their door. Don't even try to socialize. And for my caregivers, remember to check in on yourself because without you, who will be there to support your loved one? So with that, I hope everybody has an amazing Mother's Day and thank you so much to all of our caregivers out there. This next segment is brought to you by Genentech. Genentech is a leading biotech company that has built a strong partnership with the Hemophilia A community through continued support and innovation. They have created a different Hemophilia A treatment that you might want to learn more about. To read about the efficacy and safety profile of this treatment, visit www.treathemophilia.com. James Maple, who leads our new music segment about music from the bleeding disorders community. James, how you doing, man? Welcome I'm great. Back. You guys can't see, but I'm dancing right now. They can, dance, there's a camera. They can. To we the left of Amy, cameras. there's a camera. They, everyone sees. So, um, <laughs> yeah, James, uh, thank you for being back. Who are we hearing from this time? We are hearing from Mr. Shelby Smoke, who I admittedly yes. didn't know I would like his style of music, and I am a brand new fan. Yes! It's, it's quite good. It's quite good. What's the style? Uh, I'd categorize it as a post-punk indie rock kind of 90s feel-back jam yes. situation. That's a, <laughs> That's a legit vibe. That's a legit vibe. So um, let's dive right in. So I, I've tried my best to think of like a theme of, of, of this segment in relation to Shelby's music. And I landed on past and present perspective. Mm. He's two songs that I want to uh, dive into with you both. The first is uh, from his uh, March release just recently, like a month or so ago, um, called Getting Lost. And the, a lyric in the in the chorus that comes up quite a bit is getting lost in the the uh the hallways of your mind yeah sure and um i wanted to i want to uh talk about a bit a bit more but on the other side of a quote uh that uh shelby mentioned in his interview from the beginning hemophilia was at the root of my drive towards music and you just you just spend a lot of time in your head and i think the song for me was was more of a cry to 
to get outside of my head. People have told me it's dark. I think that's true. But for me, that song was um, a way to, you know, redirect what was happening by getting lost in the hallways of my mind. So how did I redirect it? I redirected it by writing this really dark kind of bleak song and then giving it to everybody else to deal with. I'm not sure that's fair. I learned from in talking to Shelby that your conditions, your present conditions are just that. Those are the conditions that you're in in this present moment. And there is there is a forward. There is there is something more coming your way. And I love that he took something that was so dark, getting lost in the, the hallways of your mind. Um, it's it's I can almost like see the the, the, the dark hallways myself in my mind. Um, and I really, really related to that. It's really poetic. I also want to challenge a little bit the idea of is it unfair to uh, express the darkness through a song and for others to deal with. And I know he was saying that tongue in cheek, like, you know, I don't know if that's fair, but just my reaction to it is like, man, that's art. That's the whole point. Mm -hmm. It's taking the stuff that's on the inside Mm -hmm. and putting it into an expression that can impact others. So Shelby, keep doing it. Don't worry about fairness. Absolutely. (laughs) Here, here. I agree. And how, you know, we... We do this and we say this at Believe Limited all the time with everything that we do, how important expression is of some of those things. And, you know, the creative arts is just one of the most, you know, profound, impactful ways that we as a community connect over things that are, you know, more and more unsaid. Mm -hmm. So hats off to Shelby and hats off to you, James, for continuing to bring us this this segment's great. Yeah, it's great Absolutely. stuff. The song, the second song I want to, uh, we'll, we'll put at the at the end of the segment here is a song called Memory. And I uh, fell in love with this song as well. Um, I think that oftentimes we look back on our lives and the people in it and we want it to be that way again. Mm. And it oftentimes isn't. It, Never. You may not be able to go through that same um, experience again. But I think remaining who you are as a person, as who you are in this present um is 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 what's important and shelby talks about this in this next clip you know i've run into some friends here recently that i haven't seen in a very very long time you know as you age and and distance happens and then you try to reconnect it, it it doesn't always work and it's just because your lives have gone on different paths. Um, but at the same time if you look at the refrain i, I was just kind of saying that you know i feel like at the root and at the core of who I am, my integrity, if you will. I, I think that has remained static. That that's remained the same. The thinking about philosophy and the ship of Theseus, you know, I think if if you look at the the shape of that ship or or, or the hold of it, um, that stays the same even if the boards and all that is is transferred out. So I've definitely matured. There's there's a lot of things that have influenced who I am now, but I think at the root I've stayed the same and maybe that was the message I was trying to send out. I got to look up the ship of Theseus. <laughs> I don't know about the ship. You know, not long ago, I I called somebody I probably hadn't spoken to in about 10 years and was thinking about the times that, you know, this person was very instrumental in my life. And um, about th- they picked up the phone and about three minutes into the call, I was like, you know, we're just not where we were. Yeah. And it was hard because this is someone I did and still do care about as a human in the world. But it was clear to me then and it remains clear now that we're just we have nothing to talk about and it's okay it's okay it's such an adult thing and there's like grief attached to it and you know putting more words to who we who we are in the moment it's yeah that it's so funny to like hear him say that i'm sure listeners feel that too everyone's like yeah 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 Yeah. we all have our versions of it for sure 
the last little bit I wanted to talk to you all about um, was the, the again the power of music and how we can all learn new things. And interviewing with um, Shelby, I learned this. Did you all know that Coheen Beat Organization has a music program? They do. Tell us more. Yes. So part. Um, uh, Shelby is a part of it. I had no idea myself, but I'll, I'll read their mission statement very quickly. Um, this is from the Coheen B uh, website. The Beats music program was created for people with bleeding disorders to connect and build strong relationships through the common bond of music. Research indicates that 30 to 60 percent of patients with hemophilia experience depression. Among the activities counteracting this effect, music has been shown to especially be therapeutic. Additionally, a recent study indicates a majority of our hemophilia B members have a naturally gravitated position towards music as an outlet of expression and exploration. The Beats program is designed to nurture and empower those who have shown an interest in using music as a source of comfort and a means of self-expression. This program creates an opportunity for musically inclined community members to learn from a professional like musicians uh, from all over the world so they can develop new skills, grow in confidence, and make new friends. It's quite a statement. Right, right. It's awesome. Um, and lastly, I'll give you guys a quick little uh, bite. Shelby talks about his experience and how the importance of music has affected his life and Kohimbi, the Beats program. I'm able to go out now and I do a lot of stuff with music in the community. Um, I firmly believe in the healing power of music, the things that it can do. I have uh, presentations I do with, you know, the research to support it, you know, looking at studies. And then even beyond that, I've, I've worked very closely with Wayne Cook, um, Kim at the Coalition for Hemophilia B. We started the uh, uh, Beats program. Um, well, they started it and, and listened to a lot of input I had. Um, for how that should look and you know and, and now that thing's running on its own steam they do it every year it's the beats program in nashville and you know we put instruments in people's hands we we help them teach them how to sing um you know we and the idea is that it's it's not the end product and i think that's the whole message of all the programs that do it's not the end product it's not necessarily the the song you write it's not the you know how amazing your voice may or may not sound it's it's the participation in it that's the healing. Right on. Well, Shelby, we're glad that you're doing that because we need people like you to be sharing the gifts and talents and benefits of engaging with uh, music and self-expression. So to put a button on the segment, James, what are we about to hear? We're about to hear a song called Memory from Mr. Shelby Smoke. Take a listen. All right, Josh, I want to ask you something. What do you think Fatusaran is? Fatusaran, uh, toothpaste. You know what? That's a great, that is a great guess. Fatutharan. Close. It, <laughs> it's close. Uh, but it's actually a non-factor replacement therapy currently in clinical trials being developed by Sanofi for people with hemophilia A or B with or without inhibitors. This one's pretty unique, a little bit complex, and so Amy talked to Dr. Guy Young to learn more about what Fatusaran is. It is not toothpaste. You'll learn what it is. But if you have a gum bleed... It could come in handy. <laughs> All right, over to Amy and Dr. Young. 
I am here with Dr. Guy Young, frequent uh, contributor on Bloodstream, as well as the Global Hemophilia Report. Of course, Dr. Young is the director of the HTC at the Los Angeles Children's Hospital, and he is an investigator on the Fetusaran trial, the perfect person to talk to about this new science. Welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Young. Hi, yes. Thank you for having me. Well, let's start off uh, with the question that I want to know. What the heck is Fetusaran? How does it work? <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question. Um, it's, a, it's a new category of medications um, that are called small interfering RNAs. So um, siRNA for short. And basically, the way this molecule works is it interferes with the production of proteins. And so you can pretty much make a RNA uh, that will interfere with the production of a protein or an siRNA against more or less any protein in the body that you want, assuming that that's a protein that you want to downregulate. In other words, you want to have the body produce less of it. So just to give you an example that is simple, everybody knows about cholesterol and having high cholesterol is bad for you. So there is a small interfering RNA that is now licensed on the market that uses a similar technology or the same technology as Fetusaran, but targeting cholesterol. And mm -hmm. that medication, because of the way small interfering RNAs work, is given as a subcutaneous injection two times per year. That's it. And it works really well to lower cholesterol with minimal other side effects. So it's, uh, mm. uh, it's and it's currently commercially available on the market. And so Fetusaran is that same type of molecule, small interfering RNA, and specifically it is inhibiting or blocking the production of, and therefore lowering the levels of a molecule called antithrombin. Interesting, and how does that work in the clotting cascade? Why would that be a benefit to hemophilia A or hemophilia B patients? Right, so hemophilia A and B, we can think of it in different ways. Hemophilia A, you're missing factor eight. Hemophilia B, you're missing factor nine. At the end of the day, all of these factor deficiency bleeding disorders, pretty much all of them, um, have the same end point, which is that they cannot produce, or patients with these deficiencies cannot produce enough thrombin. Thrombin is the key enzyme of the coagulation cascade. It's, it's basically the one that drives all of the processes that help us to make a clot. Antithrombin, as its name implies, is a naturally occurring protein in our body, which blocks thrombin. So it's there uh, and it's, it's there in the body and its purpose is to actually prevent blood clots, right? Mm -hmm. We want our body to not bleed and also not clot. And so antithrombin is, you can think of it as an anti-clotting protein. So as its name implies, it blocks thrombin. Well, if in hemophilia, you cannot make enough thrombin, one way to overcome, uh, to compensate for that or overcome that is to eliminate or reduce its inhibitor, antithrombin. If we lower the level of antithrombin, the little bit of thrombin that hemophilia patients can generate will then sort of circulate on itself or feed on itself to generate more and more and more thrombin. Kind of like you have a small fire and you have the small fire going, uh, but every time you have the small fire, somebody comes along and dumps water on it. And so that's kind of anti-thrombin is the water and the small fire is thrombin. So if you think about it, if I basically stop that person from dumping water on the fire, 
even though the fire starts small, it'll eventually continue to grow and grow and generate a bigger fire, in other words, generate enough thrombin. So by eliminating or blocking antithrombin, we can enhance thrombin generation, and thrombin generation is help what makes us make a blood clot. Hemophilia patients have an inability to generate enough thrombin. So that's how fetusarin really works. Where is it in the clinical trial stage, and what are some of the things that you've learned um, going through the process? So fetusarin is currently in phase three clinical trials. It is being studied in uh, patients 12 and older with hemophilia A and B with and without inhibitors. There are multiple trials. One is only for patients with inhibitors. One is for patients without inhibitors, comparing fetusarin to on-demand treatment. So in other words, you know, treatment where you're only treating bleeds as they occur. And a third trial is comparing fetusarin to prophylaxis in patients with and without inhibitors, whether you're on factor eight or factor nine prophylaxis or prophylaxis with you know, FIBA or Novo7. So those are the main three phase three trials. There are another, there's another trial that's starting to sort of enhance the numbers and there's a pediatric trial as well. So all of this is, um, you know, there's literally, I don't know, some of the five, 600 patients, I think currently on fetusarin trials around the world uh, wow. that are feeding into this large amount of data that will hopefully allow uh, for eventual licensure of the product. And what are some of the promising results uh, coming out of these trials that have interested you? Yeah, so um, I am primarily been an investigator in the ATLAS INH trial, INH for inhibitors. And that study was just published uh, about a week and a half ago or so uh, in a journal called The Lancet, which is one of the top journals in the world, sort of rivals the New England Journal of Medicine. The ATLAS AB trial, which is again the non-inhibitor trial, was published in a a journal called Lancet Hematology, which is obviously in the same family of journals as the Lancet. What we learned is that for patients with inhibitors, whether they have hemophilia A or hemophilia B, that fetusaran is really exceptionally effective at preventing bleeding. So for example, in the Atlas INH trial, the average number of bleeds for the patients who were not receiving any prophylaxis was 18 and for patients on fetusaran was about one. If we look at the median, the median, which is sort of the middle number, if you will, it was 16, and for fetusaran it was zero. So that means more than half the patients, in fact, 63% of the patients on the fetusaran arm had no bleeds during a nine-month period of uh, time that they were being studied, uh, versus only there was one patient in the non in the uh, prophylaxis, sorry, in the on-demand arm who didn't have any, so that's 5%. So essentially what, what, we're, what we're seeing is that fetusaran can, you know, mostly stop bleeding in patients with inhibitors um, uh, with this medication. The other thing important to add about uh, siRNA therapies in general in fetusaran is that they're given subcutaneously, so it's not intravenous, and because they have such a long effect, in the trials, the dose was once per month. Hmm. Although in the newer trials, uh, as part of a safety issue, which we can discuss, the dosing is now every other month. So only six injections per year. Really? 
Is that the main, uh, well, I, I guess my next question was going to be, how does this compare to some of the other non-clotting factor replacement therapies that we have um, <clears throat> currently FDA approved? Sure, so the only non-factor that's currently FDA approved is, is emicizumab, which is a very effective drug and uh, also given subcutaneously. But here's some differences. So emicizumab can only be used, or hemlibra as people know it, can only be used in hemophilia A because it is really specific to the way it works is only for hemophilia A. So the first difference is that fetusran can work for hemophilia A or hemophilia B. Patients with hemophilia B currently do not have a non-factor option on the market, currently do not have a subcutaneous option on the market. So that's one difference. The second difference is that the dosing frequency is less we expect that most patients on fetusaran will only need to be dosed every other month, mm. as opposed to hemlibra, where most patients are dosing every two weeks. So it's 26 injections a year for most patients versus six for fetusaran. Also, the volume of the fetusaran injection is very small, and it can be stored in room temperature, whereas hemlibra needs to be refrigerated, and the volume is quite a bit larger. Um, and so that's another uh, main difference. In terms of the efficacy, I mean, in the there's not been a head-to-head -head trial, but you know they're both very effective. Uh, I don't think you can say fetusaran is more effective because bleed rates with emicizumab are really, really low. So the main difference is, is the ability to treat hemophilia B, and uh, also the uh, um, you know less frequent and smaller volume of administration. My next question is a Patrick question. Every time I do these interviews without Patrick. He always sends me his thoughts because he's Patrick. And this is such a fantastic question. Um, why is it that this therapy in particular that's being studied um, for how it could help patients with both hem hemophilia A and B, with, which you mentioned, with and without inhibitors, what gives it such range? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And that has to do with the mechanism of action. So as we said earlier, that you know the key enzyme in the coagulation cascade is thrombin. Patients with HEMA, of course, don't have factor VIII, which ultimately is required to make thrombin. Patients with hemophilia B don't have factor IX, which ultimately is required to make thrombin. Patients with inhibitors cannot be treated with factor VIII replacement or factor IX replacement if they have an inhibitor of hemophilia B because those antibodies, which is what they are, anti-drug antibodies, essentially block the factor from working. That's why in order to treat inhibitor patients, we need to move to non-factor type therapies. Emicizumab is one such therapy, which as we mentioned earlier, uh, works in hemophilia A. So what gives fetusaran the breath um, is that it is not working on the side of the coagulation cascade. That is where factor is. It's working on the other side. So if you think about it, sort of like two sides of a coin. One side yeah. is the side that helps to uh, make thrombin. The other side is the side that is essentially blocking thrombin. Mm -hmm. Another way that people have used analogies for this is that factor uh, eight or factor nine is like the accelerator and mm -hmm. anti and anti-thrombin is the brakes. And so if you have, you know, hemophilia, you, 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 you have to, by adding factor, you're pressing on the accelerator, but you're not really releasing the brake. What antithrombin does is put the brakes on the coagulation cascade. What fetusaran does is block that. So you're sort of releasing the brake. So imagine, you know, imagine you can't accelerate too fast 
because you don't have factor eight or factor nine, but you remove the brakes. Well, as long as the pedal is on the accelerator, eventually you're going to build up the speed. That's another analogy like the fire analogy I used earlier. So because you know we're not working on the accelerator side, we're working on the brake side, if you will, by inhibiting antithrombin, it doesn't really matter whether you have a deficiency of factor eight or factor nine, and it doesn't really matter whether you have an inhibitor or not, because we're working on a part of the coagulation cascade that is, you know, in a sense, disconnected from factor eight or factor nine. And that's why fetusaran can work in hemophilia A and B and for patients with and without inhibitors. That's really that's really fascinating. So the breaks, um, as we kind as fetusaran kind of you know goes into or works on that part of the coagulation cascade, it then enables the body to produce thrombin, and that as we've kind of you know started to learn here on bloodstream, thrombin is what. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, turns into fibrinogen that has those long strands that like helps the actual clot formation. So that's where the drug is working in that component. Is that right? Yeah. Yes, yes. Esk? Yes, more or less. <laughs> so, so let's talk about thrombin. Yay. So let's talk about thrombin's functions. One is, as you alluded to, it converts fibrinogen which is this right. insoluble protein to fibrin, right. which is the strings. So that's right. a key function of thrombin, converting fibrinogen to fibrin, which is actually the structure, the string-like structure of the clot. But thrombin also feeds back on itself because thrombin activates uh, other coagulation proteins. So once you generate some thrombin, it goes back into a feedback loop to make more thrombin and more thrombin and more thrombin. Again, hemophilia patients can't make a lot of thrombin at the beginning. Mm. But if you take off the brakes, if you take away antithrombin, right. that little bit of thrombin starts to feed back on itself like a circle and makes okay. more and more and more and more. Kind of like that fire analogy I used earlier, right? You, right, you have right. a little tiny fire. Well, if you don't disturb it and you have enough wood there, as long as you're not dumping water on it, uh, it'll eventually grow and grow and grow. So it's kind of like a, a way to think about it like that. So thrombin has one function, which is to convert fibrinogen to fibrin to actually make the clot, but it also works to feed back uh, in feedback loops to generate more and more of itself. So by again, fetusaran removing or lowering the levels of antithrombin allows that feedback loop to really generate a lot more thrombin and help make a clot. Have there been any concerns uh, or, you know, watch outs during these trials? Yes. And so the main concern, even before the trials were started, is that if you take away uh, the brakes, if you will, right? Or yeah. if you stop, if you don't have the fire, uh, the water, excuse me, for the fire, right. of course, a fire can get out of control. Right. And a car can accelerate out of control, right? right. And so if we think about that, if we go too far and make too much thrombin, we can end up in the opposite situation of what most hemophilia patients deal with, uh, which is bleeding, and we end up with clotting. And so right. in the trials, there was a, uh, in, in the three trials I mentioned, overall, the rate of thrombosis was about three to 4%. So mm -hmm. about you know three to four patients out of 100 did develop a blood clot. So, uh, and um, you know, that, that blood clotting can be a significant uh, side effect or problem. 
And so what was learned actually from, this, from the trials was that the patients who developed a blood clot had the lowest levels of antithrombin. So we went really far in lowering their levels. Hmm. And so moving forward, the dosing was changed after making that discovery so that we can now target antithrombin levels that are low, but not excessively low. So the levels were 10% of normal in the patients who had the blood clots. So we're now targeting levels of 15 to 35% of normal, hmm. which uh, based on the data that's in all these studies should work really well to prevent bleeding, but hopefully will not have the same rate of clotting as we have seen, or hopefully have no clotting at all. So that's why the dosing has been changed from every month, which is what's published in the studies that just came out, to the new regimen that's been going on now for, well, almost a year now, um, is every other month. And that's basically okay. to not overdo it, right? We don't want to okay. lower the antithrombin so much that we tilt the balance of somebody with hemophilia from bleeding too much to clotting too much. You might have uh, already answered this, but um, now seeing what you've seen here over these trials and in your own study, um, what's left to learn? What, what, what do you think we need to be watching out for? So <clears throat> the main thing that's left to learn is, is the new dosing regimen going to be uh, safer than what we've seen in terms of blood clotting and as effective. Okay. And the new dosing regimen actually also requires laboratory testing. So patients start on a dose of fetusaran, targeting this range of antithrombin. If they are too high and we need to drive the antithrombin lower, we'll increase their dose. Okay. If they're too low and we need to get their antithrombin level higher, we'll reduce their dose. So there's a whole sort of algorithm for making dose adjustments as needed. Based on what we've learned so far, it seems as if the majority of patients, like 80%, probably won't need any dose adjustments, but some will need adjustment upwards or downwards and then retesting. So that's the key thing to be learned in the next you know, six months to a year, um, is does the new dosing regimen work as well to prevent bleeding as the previous dosing regimen? And do we have less and hopefully no clotting events? The second part is that we didn't discuss, there are some changes in the liver enzymes. So there seems to be some impact on the liver cells, which is where antithrombin is made. These were generally fairly minor. Many of them went away and none of the patients stopped fetusaran because of that, but that continues to need to be monitored and learned about. And the last thing we've noticed is a little bit more numbers of people getting into a problem with gallstones so stones in their gallbladder. We've seen a few of those in patients on fetusaran and not in patients not on fetusaran. So we're still trying to figure out, is that really a side effect or is that just you know sort of a, a numbers game of kind of bad luck? So uh, we're, we're, we're trying to figure out, you know, does fetusaran increase the likelihood of having gallstones? And, and we had a couple of patients who had their gallbladders removed during the trial due to having symptoms related to the gallstones. So Overall, that's the main things to learn is more about the safety part of fetusaran with the new dosing regimen. 
Well, Dr. Young, as always, thank you for being with us and sharing all of this and for tolerating my horrible um, tale of fibrinogen and all the things. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, before we leave, what is uh, what is the thing that the community needs to know about Fertusaran or to keep in mind um, as they talk to their doctors going mm -hmm. forward as they kind of decide what's best for them? Yeah, I mean, a couple things. One is it's still in clinical trials. There is going to be a new clinical trial in the U.S. that will look at patients with hemophilia A and B um, with, I think, without inhibitors only this time, uh, because in the U.S. we were only able to enroll patients with inhibitors for the earlier phases of the trial. Um, find out if, uh, you know, if you're interested in participating in this trial, you can certainly look for centers that are participating in the trial. And you can look that up on a website called clinicaltrials.gov. It's searchable, put FITUSRAN, and you can find uh, the trial that I'm talking about. So one thing the community can do and help is, uh, is to participate in the trials. I will tell you that the patients I've had on the trials, I have three of them, um, they're all very happy that they did participate because it's really been a positive experience for them. So, and again, clinical trials are voluntary, of course, you'd have to agree to participate and go through the risks and benefits. So I'm not trying to push anybody to do it, but I think it should be something that people can consider. I think the other thing is just pay attention to the results as they come in. Um, I'm not sure exactly when uh, the company that is making Fetusaran, um, Sanofi, when they're planning to submit the data to the FDA, but uh, I know that they're getting close to collecting all the data they need. And you know, hopefully uh, we'll have um, a product like this or, or Fetusaran on the market you know, maybe uh, as early as sometime in 24, um, or, you know, hopefully not too much later than that. So yeah, if you can, uh, if you're interested, look for centers that are needing uh, patients for the trial. If you're really interested to learn more about participating in the trial, otherwise, you know, just keep going to meetings and keep learning about Fetusarin. Wise words. Thank you, Dr. Young, as always. And uh, we'll see you when we see you again. Yes, thank you. Take care now. Thank you, Dr. Young, a frequent guest on the Bloodstream podcast. You can also hear him on the Global Hemophilia Report. Quick plug for the Global Hemophilia Report. And wasn't he a puppet on Stop the Bleeding at one point? Close. <laughs> Brian Williams, an actor, plays Dr. Young. Yes, inspired by the real Dr. Young, who carries around a puppet that was provided to us by the real Dr. Young. Oh, man, we should just title this episode, Josh is Close. That, <laughs> I feel like I'm close on a lot of things. I like this version of the podcast. Josh I know, is Close. I know a lot about the next thing, though. Well, what is the next thing? Tell us about that. The next thing is the Breaking Through documentary. So Breaking Through is a program that we've done in a couple of different forms. We've done it as a staged theater show uh, musical, Hemophilia the Musical, on Broadway in New York. Like we've you do. done it on the internet during COVID as a, uh, we did like a big Zoom community thing. And then it became uh, like an interactive digital workshop yeah um and that was awesome and we did a digital musical and now it's a film and now it's a film yes. um which is not a musical it's a documentary piece it's hard for me to put into words how wonderful this came together well you don't have to amy and drama are gonna do that for us right now Hey, Bloodstream listeners, it's Amy. I couldn't let Patrick just take over the entire time. I had to have at least one segment. Hey, I am here with um, our producer, our beloved producer, and um, 
I guess, head of production, Drama Del Rosario. You are here to talk about our Breaking Through film program, and I am so excited to talk about it because it was one of the most moving things that I've seen coming out of the community oh, from you. a long time. Tell the listeners a little bit about um, what it is, yeah. what like took place, and uh, how this all came together. Yeah, Breaking Through started with Believe as a musical theater workshop. And for the first time ever, we wanted to expand to filmmaking. There's so much, you know, and realize, I re realized in doing this that there's so much untapped filmmaking potential in the bleeding disorders community. Um, and so we did Breaking Through for filmmaking. We, you know, got 10 people from across the country, from the bleeding disorders community, different backgrounds, different diagnoses, different artistic styles. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we had them make short personal documentary pieces with the end goal of making this anthology documentary piece, putting together the different stories of these community members. We put them through you know, uh, filmmaking workshops about script writing, cinematography, uh, how to use image and sound poetically, even like film distribution um, to prepare them to tell their story and film these scenes. All of that film jargon aside, <laughs> at the core of it is that we just gave them the freedom to do creatively whatever they wanted to do um, in an artistic filmmaking avenue and the end result of it is this beautiful documentary film across different film styles we yes. have like an environmental nature piece we yes. have like love stories we have sports we have like film noir investigative <laughs> documentaries yeah. all of that you know coming together in this short documentary about the bleeding disorders community i'm so excited about it and um I feel like people who watch this will find at least one of those 10 stories to relate to. I agree. And I, it was so diverse. Like, the ages were diverse. The stories mm. were diverse. And it was so fascinating, I think, to watch um, what what each individual, like, how they expressed what it was like living with a bleeding disorder, how they viewed themselves, um, how how this could be um, a mode of communicating some of those things. And it was just really lovely. And the styles were incredible. They were so different and diverse. It was just... Yeah, it was really, really cool seeing it terrific. all come together. And I think, yeah. you know, the 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 variety of film styles in this film is just a reflection of just the variety of people within the community. People come from different backgrounds, mm -hmm. people come from different ages, different, you know, things that they deal with on a on a regular basis. And um, I think this film really captures that. Listeners, great news. Drama brought a trailer uh, for the Breaking Through film. So let's check it out. Let's see what the trailer's uh, all about. Lydia, Breaking Through, take one. We want to tell you a story. About our lives. 10 bleeding disorder community members. Our victories. Our challenges. Selected to train with Believe Limited's professional filmmakers. Our bleeding disorders. Venimos de todo ambientos de la vida. From all across the country. And ready to tell their story on film. But one thing unites us. We are breaking through. Living life on our terms. Using our words, our ideas, and our art. 
to inspire our blood brothers and our blood sisters. To break through two. The 10-minute original short film by Community for Community. Breaking Through. Sponsored and funded by Biomarin from Believe Limited. Coming soon. So, Drama, where can listeners check it out? Yeah, so um, we will be having, for the first time ever, the world premiere of this film on May 23rd. Uh, we will be launching it through a Facebook watch party. So feel free to <laughs> invite everyone. Yes. We will be doing it um, on the Facebook page of Bloodstream. So go check it out on May 23rd. Go check it out on May 23rd. Um, that will be 5 p.m. Pacific time, 8 p.m. Eastern. And yeah, see you all there. That's going to be terrific. So you all know Facebook.com, Bloodstream Media. Um, that's where you can catch the live premiere. And it's going to be fantastic. We're going to have like a q and I'm so excited. It's going to be great. Thank you, Drama. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Amy. Thank you, Maya Bloomberg, Drama, Shelby, Amy, Dr. Young, and Josh, and all who contributed to today's episode, an episode that would not be possible, of course, without our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Thank you, Takeda. Thanks, Visit Takeda. bleedingdisorders.com. Thanks as well to our segment sponsor today, Genentech. Bloodstream will be back next on May 18th. And Josh, this is usually the part where I ask Amy what listeners can expect to hear next time. So I'm going to ask you, what can listeners expect to hear next time? Is it Guy Young? It's, no, he was this time. Yeah, oh. we actually sometimes don't go back to back to back to back with guests sometimes. Oh, okay. But it was a good guess. That was a good guess. No, it's a toothpaste inventor. It's not that either. Uh, <laughs> on the next episode, you're going to hear Blood Brother Michael Bishop talking with me about all things, you know, uh, Blood Brother stuff. We're going to talk Blood Brother stuff. We also should have the latest installment of our music segment. I don't know that that's official, though, so I won't say who's on it. But uh, we'll just say it's somebody who's been on the podcast before and you would expect to be featured on a musical segment eventually. And we'll leave it there for now. With that, Josh, thanks for joining me today. The, thanks for joining me today. It's my pleasure, man. Yeah, well, it's my podcast room. <laughs> <laughs> and that is all for this episode. As always, remember to subscribe, listen to, and share episodes of the Bloodstream Podcast with friends, family, colleagues. Really, you can share it with anybody. And if you or a loved one in the Bleeding Disorders community has a story that you want to tell, reach out, let us know, mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com. We are also casting things constantly for podcasts, for films, for workshops. So if you have any interest in participating in something that we might be doing, mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com, or you can connect with Bloodstream Media on social media, where you'll also find Amy Board. Me, you'll find Josh as well. I, I don't know what I was expecting you to say to that, Josh, but it is true. Great. <laughs> wow. I am your host, Patrick James Lynch. And I am not your host, Joshua Sterling Bragg. But you are in this room, and we're happy to have had you. Until next time, take self-care of yourself. Bye, Bye. everybody. Bye.